Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are uh, this morning going to be working together, not from Leviticus, even though that's where we have been hanging out. Um, we are going to be in the book of Exodus because this is the Shabbat of Pesach. So Passover has its own special Torah readings, uh, and the Shabbat of Passover is no different. It has its own special Torah readings. So we'll be reading from Exodus chapter 33 this morning. It's good to see all 36 of you here. Um, it's a great thing that so many of us uh, got ourselves here to study Torah this morning, the Shabbat Pesach. Uh, on your screen, you see... Exodus chapter 33, verse 12. So first of all, we have to understand what's gone on. So what's happened before this is that God gave the Ten Commandments to Moshe. Moshe is told to hurry down the mountain, get down, because the people are already um, breaking the deal. So Moshe's coming down with the the contract between God and Israel, the ketubah or the adoption papers, however you want to see it. And Moshe is told, get down because you've got to go see what's happened to this people that you brought out of Egypt. Moshe goes down and sees as he's holding the paperwork in stone, Moshe sees that the people have already become disloyal to the agreement, to the, the exclusivity of the agreement and so you do when Moshe does what the people have already, in fact, done, which is Moshe tears up the contract. How do you tear up the paperwork if it's written on stone? <laughs> right? You smash it. So Moshe has smashed the tablets and Moshe gets called up, right, to deal with God. And because uh, God's been pretty angry about this whole thing. Um, and then we're going to get... Uh, Moshe getting the second set of tablets in chapter 34, but we're still in chapter 33. So we, we pick up in the middle of a conversation between God and Moshe, between Moshe and God. So what is this conversation? Moshe el So the Moshe says to Yudhe Bafe, Amar Eli, Ha'al Eta'am Hazet. So Moshe's talking to God and says, Look, <clears throat> you said to me, Bring up this people, lo hoda'ani, but you have not made it known to me, et asher tishlach imi, who you're going to send with me. Because God has promised to send, apparently, um, to send someone along with the Israelites. But so Moshe's complaining, you're telling me to bring the people up, and yet you haven't told me who's going to go with me. But you said that I that you know me by name, and you also said that I have found favor in your sight. All right, so so clearly these are um, expressions, ways that Torah talks about a very special, very intimate relationship. So to know someone by name, so we know that in Hebrew, to know it connotes an intimate knowledge, an intimate understanding. And so in this case, if it's about knowing a person, 
then that's about relationship. That's about really understanding and knowing intimately who somebody is, knowing them by name, for God, for, for sure for God. That means a very special intimate relationship. But also the second expression, vigam, also, matzata that you have found favor in my sight. That's God. That's Moshe quoting God. That's Moshe quoting God talking to Moshe. So we don't have that scene, right? We're missing that scene where God says this to Moshe. We never see that in Torah. But apparently, that's what Moshe heard because Moshe's quoting God back to God. All right. Ata. Now we're getting a different Ata. This is an Ayn, not an Aleph. Do you see verse 13? Begins with the word Ve'ata. It's an Aleph here. Uh, it's an Ayn here instead of an Aleph. Ata with an Aleph is you, masculine, singular. With an Ayn here, this is a now. So the Vav is either, remember, conjunctive or disjunctive. Ve'ata. It's either and now or but now. So, I mean, I think I would read it with the disjunctive. Right, that you said I, I found fa- that you know me by name, that I have found favor in your sight, but now, if I truly have found favor in your sight, then let me know, cause me to know your ways. And so I want to know your ways and I want to I want to know I want to know more about you I want to understand you so that I can continue to gain favor right so that I can continue to um, find favor in your sight or so we get this wonderful uh, exchange between God and Moshe, because God has said, get down, the people, your people are screwing up. And now we get Moshe uh, turning to God to say, I want to know you. You said I have found favor in your sight. Well, then let me know you so that that can continue. This intimacy, this intimate relationship can continue. And then Moshe, <laughs> out of nowhere, says, or eh, and look, see, same word in Hebrew, look and see, right? Look. This is your people, this nation. So I can't help but think of Moshe as being a little bit chutzpahdik and cheeky here, right? I mean, it's hard to imagine. Um, But to turn to God and basically say, right, this this nation is your people. Don't look at me. Right. So we, we often read this in together and say this is, you know, one parent turning to the other parent saying your son, right? you won't believe what your daughter has done. Right. So Moshe reminds God, this is your people. So if we read it a little more tenderly, obviously, we can read that Moshe is worried. M- Moshe has seen God's temper and God just about destroyed the people a few pages ago. And so. We could read this as, as Moshe being, of course, the protector of Israel and, and reminding God, don't forget you, you. Yes, you have a special relationship with me, but you have a special relationship with this people. They're yours. You can't, you know, please don't turn your back on them. Let, let them stay in some kind of relationship with you that is special. 
All right. Fayomer. And he said, who's speaking now? We don't know because it doesn't tell us. We don't know until we get what is said. Vayomer. And he said, that I will go in the lead and will lighten your burden. So that means it has to be God talking to Moshe, right? Moshe is not going to say this to God. God forbid. Um, so God says to Moshe, I'm going to go in the lead and I will lighten your load, essentially. And he said to him, so now it's Moshe answering God. What does Moshe answer? Unless you go in the lead, do not make us leave this place. For how will it be known that your people have gained your favor unless you go with us? So that we may be distinguished, your people and I, from every people on the face of the earth. So God says, don't worry. You don't need to worry about who I'm sending with you. I'm going. I'm going to be the one who goes ahead of you. I'm going to lighten your burden. It's all going to be okay. And rather than Moshe saying, thank you so much. You are the best God ever. Um, Moshe, who's a Jew, what is the Jew answer to God? See that you do. If you don't, don't tell me to take these people up here. God just said God's going to lead. God just said God's going in the lead and he's going to take care of everything. And what's Moshe's answer? Not, yay, I'm so glad we're going to make this a national holiday. No. Moshe's response is, yeah, we'll see see that you do. Because if you don't, don't make me take these people up out of here. And if you don't go with us, how are people supposed to know how special we are? Right? They're going to be vulnerable. They're in the wilderness. They're going to have to cross through other people's territory. So Moshe's concern is that, that God had better show up and do what God has promised to do, or else this people is in serious danger. And who's left then carrying the whole thing? Moshe. Right? Moshe will then be responsible for what happens to this people. And it's very clear um, that he doesn't want that to happen. All right. Let's stop there and see if there's any. Anybody want to say anything? I guess my my question would be like if if he's saying the whole my I just have a bunch of questions about why God would go in the lead if God is supposed to be everywhere. So Natasha's question uh, is a little bit anachronistic. So Natasha's question: If God is everywhere, how could God go in the lead? Because that would mean God is in one position and not in every position, right? Am I understanding your question correctly? Yeah. Okay. So a, bit. a little bit anachronistic. What do I mean when I say that? That's a that's a much later rabbinic understanding of God and of God's, if you want, physical relationship to the universe, right? That. That God is everywhere because God, after the exile, God kind of withdraws into God's heaven and is everywhere and is a presence and a feeling and a, an energy and right, all of that. That's all rabbinic. In the Bible, it is very much that God has a concentrated presence. Right? That we're going to see that it's going to be in the Mishkan, right? Like, so you have to have the place be Kadosh and it has to be uh, Tahor, it has to be pure it has to be holy because otherwise it it rejects it um like batteries when you put those or magnets sorry you know magnets when you put their other ends together right it repels so we see that god's presence is repelled by sin and the dross of sin and impurity and therefore that's why we have the sacrificial system right so that the 
Blood is the ritual detergent. It cleanses the space so that God's presence can dwell, literally dwell in the camp, mm. in the Mishkan, with and among the people. So it was a different understanding, right, of God's presence than what we have in later rabbinic times where God is kind of in makom panoi mimenu. There's no place empty of God, right? Maloko ha'aretz kavodo. All of the world is filled with God's glory. That is definitely later. Right, we have God kind of walking around the garden in Genesis. Right, so these are much, much older texts that have a different relationship to, to the divine. Okay, and 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 we're going to see that with the language that comes next. Right, right. So God talking about God's face. Well, how can God possibly have a face? God doesn't have a body, but sort of. <laughs> right. So there's uh, I forget who the scholar is. There's several, but um, who have done really interesting work on um, on the corporal. What do you call it? Corporeality of God. Right. So talking about God's feet um, on the sapphire pavement, you know, that the prophecies. I mean, so they're like really looking at these images of God's body. What is what is that about? Like what how is that imagined biblically? Judith, mm-hmm. you think is raising her hand? Thank you. Um, we tend to anthropomorphize, anthropomorphize anything we don't understand. We anthropomorphize dogs, cats, uh, nature, because it helps us understand uh, the reality of the wholeness of the concept. And here, I think, for what God is asking and what God is telling his people we have to have some connection with our own physicality to accept it. Right. So I was going to say, I would just add a friendly amendment that it helps us think we understand, right? Right. Helps us understand it. In terms, then we think we can, you know, then we can relate a little better thinking we understand um, that we really don't understand. Um, And, you know, there's a saying that uh, God created us in God's image and we returned the favor. Right, mm-hmm. that, uh, right. That we, we, we see God in our image because that's that's how we relate to the world. So, of course, biblical Israel is going to imagine God, right? If we're created in God's image, then somehow that's, right, about a human image. Um, there's other images used for God later. But certainly um, early on in, in ancient Israel, right, it certainly would have been uh, a human kind of image. Uh, image that they had of the divine. Yeah, Judith? All the, all the surrounding cultures did anthropomorphize their gods. They had statues. They had all kinds of real images of the gods that they worship and right. still do in many cultures. Right. And, and often it was, uh, it was animals. So, you know, in Egypt where, right, this story uh, is set part of it, uh, then they, that's what they were exposed to were, were animal images for God. This is one of the reasons, of course, they are forbidden from having images in the temple and even attempting images of God because that would be pagan, but not when it comes to human form, right? And, um, and we, see, we see this very strong impulse within Christianity, right? Christianity develops this full-blown, Right, this idea that God is human, God has a body, right, and and that happens, of course, in the form of Jesus. Okay. So, Amy. Yes. And it's Bob Edinger. Um, 
I am struck here and throughout, uh, pardon this, but um, with what screw-ups the children of Israel are. Yeah, yeah. Why did God pick the children of Israel when they can't, you know, uh, walk and chew gum at the same time? They can't seem to get it together. Exactly. Uh, Right? Time Uh, time and time again. It's a really good question. Um, So I think it's an... um, The question that I would ask before that question is, why did our ancestors write a story, (laughs) right? Our foundational narrative is that our people couldn't get their act together, (laughs) right? I think that that's a really fascinating question for me, which is why would a people have their national moment, you know, all, all of these stories about the formation of this people that started as a family into a nation why would those stories be that they just could not get it together and could not earn the respect of this deity who has worked so hard on their behalf? So, so that's one question I have always, which I find really interesting. I think it's awesome that we are a people whose story isn't we were the best, we were the strongest, we were the bravest, we were the smartest, right? We're whining and schlepping and complaining and doubting and turning on Moshe, turning on God, right? Screwing up with the golden calf, right? We just got out of Egypt. We're already worshiping idols. So, right? Like, I think it's also really fascinating that that's that's who we are. Like, we're a people who gets it. We're not a people that have some mythology that we were so great. Our mythology is, yeah, we were a schlepper people, from the beginning, like we were never picked first for the team, never. Like that's not a new thing. <laughs> um, so, so I love that, but but I don't want to lose um, Bob's question, which is like, what's with this people? And so I know we talk every year that I have a relationship with Moshe, and some years I get really frustrated with Moshe. I think that was last year. I got really frustrated. Oh no, last year I was really into Moshe. But some years I get really frustrated with Moshe. It's like, oh, come on. Like, really? So um, I I have the same relationship to this people, this biblical uh, Israel. I have the same I have the same kind of fluctuating relationship to them. Because sometimes to answer your question, Bob, what's their problem? The problem is they were slaves like they. They've never had choice. They've never had responsibility. They've never had to think through anything. They've never had independence. They've never had to chart a course. They've never had to trust because it was never asked of them. It wasn't an option. They had Pharaoh and their taskmasters, right? And, you know, the guy who's working the corn mill beating you, like, go faster. That's That's been their life. The immediacy of slavery, right? The immediacy of today. Am I going to have enough to eat today? Do I have enough to feed my kids today? You don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to look just like last Thursday. There's no, there's not a lot of difference for slaves because they have no freedom. They have no control. They have no ability to, to plan outside of the system and what this system assigns them. So that's, that's one answer I have is this poor people. They don't, what do they know? And, and you're asking them to live into a grown-up relationship with a deity? Is that really fair? Like, really? Do you expect of them? Then on the other hand, right, some years I'm like, wait a minute. Are you kidding? Ten plagues? Opening the sea? 
drowning Pharaoh's army, right, coming down on Sinai in thunder and smoke and mirrors and David Copperfield and, oh, my gosh, giving Torah, and they can't even hold it together to get Torah, right, because they panic that Moshe hasn't come back. So there's a part of me that gets really frustrated with them. Like they're always fetching. They're always complaining. They're always doubting. They have seen wonders, like unbelievable wonders. And yet they can't, they can't behave as, as people who trust what they've experienced. Even they can't trust their own experience. And I get really, really annoyed with them. Um, And both, both remain true. It's, you know, kind of a, it's which which way we want to lean into that. Barbara, you want to say something? I was thinking that in this interaction, it looks like God is blaming Moses for the peop- for what the people are doing, and Moses is blaming God. So they're blaming each other in this. Right. So where interaction. where do you see God blaming Moshe? Well, I don't know specifically, but when we were, when you were reading it, when they were reading it, it seemed like. God is is disappointed that that Moses hasn't been able to control these people. So I you have to find it for me because I don't see it. Right? So Moshe is saying to God, you you said you were going to send somebody. You haven't told me who that is. Now I don't know what's going on. You say I've gained your favor, but then like show me how I can continue to do that and don't leave these people. They're your people. Right. And God says, don't worry about it. I'm going to take the lead. I'm going to lighten your burden. I'll take care of everything. And Moshe says, see that you do or don't make me take those people up from here. Right. So the, the discussion is not about Israel's behavior. The discussion happening here is between Moshe and God. Moshe wanting assurance that that God is going to take care of them because God has told him, take these people up. It's time to go. And Moshe's like, uh, uh-uh. uh. Uh uh-uh. uh, not until I get some assurance from you that we're going to be okay. Who are you sending with me? Right? And God says, I'm going to take care of it myself. So this, what is, this is about the when, relationship between God and when God. When God sees what's happening with the people, how does, how does he react? It, That's my question to you. Back at the golden calf? Yeah. God gets really mad. That's what I'm thinking. Not with Moses. But not. But not at Moses. Moshe's hanging out with God. God says, you better get down there because your people are messing up, right? You, you got to go handle them. That's Moshe's job. He's the leader. It's his job to go deal with it now. And he does. He, he smashes the tablets and says, I cannot believe you people. Really? Really? I'm gone for how long? Really? I can't leave you for five minutes? Really? Right. So, so God is upset with the people. God is like, get out of my way. I'm going to, I've had it with them, which happens a lot. Right. And, and Moshe defends the people. Moshe says, no, if you're going to destroy them, you might as well destroy me. I'm not, I'm not, no, you can't make a people out of me. No, Mm -hmm. you're stuck with this people. These are your people. Right. And says it here. Also, these are your people. You don't have to like them. (laughs) They're yours. Right. So to Bob, you know, so to Bob's point, God doesn't choose a loyal people. God, right? God loves Abraham and then loves Abraham's descendants. It's a love story. 
And how many of y'all married somebody you loved and then lived with them and found out who they were? How many of you loved that baby and then it became a teenager? <laughs> right? So, right? How many, how many of you love the dog until it eats your ribeye? Right? Like, so with love is a complicated thing. And, and it's frustrating. Love and intimate knowledge of another is really frustrating because we want the beloved to be worthy of our love. We need them and want them to be who we need and want them to be. And that ain't how it is, right? To truly love, to truly be intimate is to know people and stay with them anyway. Which I find now that I say it interesting, that this is Moshe teaching God about relationship, right? Moshe saying to God, uh-uh, that's not how it works. That is not how commitment to each other works. You're, these are your people. You don't get to pick another one because you don't like how they're behaving. You don't get to say that's not my kid anymore because I'm no longer so proud of their behavior and how they're acting. They're disappointing me, so I'm going to pick another kid. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get to do that. And it's Moshe educating Yudhei about what commitment and relationship looks like. Robert, are you trying to say something? No, I was just trying to agree with you because, uh, you know, the, Please do. I, I, well, I'm, no, I just uh, I just recall, uh, you know, God at least once, probably more than that, saying, I'm going to wipe them out. And we're going to start all over. And he says, you can't do that. <laughs> now, one excuse was you can't do that because what are the Egyptians going to say? So he had all these, you know, sort of supporting arguments. But uh, but it's more than once. That just as you said, you know, hey, for better or for worse, is this deal? This is the deal. This is how it goes. Jody? Section is about tolerance and acceptance. Mm -hmm. What is jumping out at me? Yeah. Just, you know, however they are, however crazy the people are going, however, you have to have faith. If that person says, I'm going to lead you, I'm going to stick with you. And it's about tolerating everything else and being acceptance, believing this to be true. You don't have to like it. Even though they don't always accept it. Right, right. right. They don't that's always, right? Lesson. That's the lesson. That's the lesson. Is it right? That's, that's when we get into trouble is when we want to abandon each other because we're not accepting. Right. And look, we don't, look, God has every right to be pretty upset. For sure. Right? It's not that it's not that the people are behaving so well. So we don't have to accept all behavior in a relationship. What we have to do is stay with each other as we try, right, to communicate what our issue is, right? Not just get out of the way, I'm done with them. <laughs> right, right. And that's what Moshe seems to be saying. Like we have to accept their behavior. I don't like it either. Right. I'm pretty angry too, and I'm really disappointed. And you can't leave them. They're your people. You have to accept them as your people. You don't have to accept their behavior, and you don't have to accept their attitude, but you do have to accept that they are yours. And learn to and be tolerant. And learn to how to tolerate that. Okay. So let's go. Here's one of my favorite scenes ever in the Torah. This is really. <laughs> 
favorite, favorite, favorite? Amy, why, you know, there's a whole mystical aspect about God being this energy that turns his feet and why don't we deal with that? The fact of God being, you know, it's this extraordinary entity that will not show his face and he just has, you're going to see his feet and his back. Isn't that a very important part of this text? Well, that's where we're going. Would you give me a minute? Oh, my God, the people, Israel, they make me crazy. All right, so that's where we're going. That's exactly where we're going. Okay. Okay. All right, here we are. We are at, um, where are we? We're at verse 17, right? Vayomer Adonai Moshe, and God says to Moshe, Gam netadavar hazeh asher dibarta e'eseh. Also, this thing that you have said, that you've spoken about, I will do. What thing? We have no clue. We have no idea, unless it's referring back to show show me you, show me your ways, show me, right, that Moshe just said, um, help me know so that I can, you, so that I can continue to find favor in your sight. Either it's referring to that, or it's referring to something else that Moshe has said that we don't have in the text. But God says, I will do it. For you have found favor in my sight. And I have known you by name. Okay, so God is going to do this thing because Moshe has indeed found favor and God wants to prove that to Moshe. And so Moshe says to God now, he says, Show me your kavod. Show me your presence. And God answers, Vayomer, God says, Ani avir kol tuvi alpanecha. I will cause to pass all of my goodness before your face. Vikarati vishem yudhevavhe. And I will call the name yudhevavhe lifanecha before you. This is incredibly complicated and makes zero sense. All right. I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass before you, and I will call, I, God, will call the name Yudhevavhei, the ineffable name, before you, Moshe, and I will have compassion on those I compassionate and I will mercify those who I mercify. What the heck is that? All right, so before we even get to this whole business of God's face, back, neck, whatever, we have this whole bizarre thing going on here. So Moshe says, show me your kavod. This is God's answer. This does not seem to be answering Moshe's question. Or his request. His request is show me your presence. Moshe too was raised in Egypt. Moshe too is used to a pagan representation of the God. Show me your representation, Yodevape. Are you a hawk? Are you a cow? Are you like what is it? Show me your kavod. And God answers this bizarre answer to that request. I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass before you. I'm going to call the name yud heh I will have chen. I will have grace on those I gracify. And I'll have compassion on those that I 
compassionate. Like it seems to make very little sense. So all we can do at this point is go on. So what, what, cause God continues verse 20. Vayomer, lo tuchal lirot et panai, ki lo yirani ha'adam v'chai. So it rhymes in Hebrew. Um, and he says, lo tuchal lirot et panai. You can't see, it is not possible to see my face. Ki, so ki means because. Because lo yirani ha'adam v'chai. A person cannot see me v'chai. And live. All right, we're going to get there. Don't worry. Vayomer Adonai. Because so, God's still talking. Vayomer Adonai. And, and Yudhei says, Hine makom iti. Here's a place with me. Venitzavta al hatsur. Stand yourself here on the rock. Vehaya ba'avor kavodi. And it will be that when my kavod passes, that I will put you, I will place you in the cleft of the rock. And I will put the, what is this called in, in English? Not the soul. The, um, the, I will put the palm of my hand on you until I have passed. And then I will take away my hand and you will see my, and I'm not going to say back to the, to the question. It is not a back. God forbid. You will see, you will see my afterward. You will see my ahar, what's behind me. But my face you will not see. One question is, why is this one of Rabbi Amy's favorite parts of the Torah? That's a pretty intense thing for a rabbi to say, right? Um, We love, of course, all of Torah, but we all have our favorites. Um, I think it's a, so I'm not going to talk about it yet. I'll let y'all talk first, but um, I just think it is one of the most beautiful and one of the most intimate and one of the most loving and intense moments between God and a human being and between God and Moshe, right? This, this very intense relationship that Yudhei Vavhei has with Moshe and, and in this moment gets as close as is possible to a human being and protects Moshe from God's self in that moment. All right. So, but I want to make sure that we are, that I am answering the questions that you have. So I'm so, so one question that I took care of, I hope just now is that it is not God's back. That is not what we're talking about. Ahar means after. So you will see my afterward. You will see my wake. You will know me by knowing what goes on after I've passed. After I've come through, that's how you know. That's as much as you can know about me. You can't see my face v'chai. Now, it doesn't, some people, and you, if you've learned this with me before, you know how I feel about this, that I do not like the literalness of the translation. It means if you see my face, you'll die. That's not what I think it means. 
I, yes, there's an element of that. I think what it means is you can't hold the fullness of who, of what I am <coughs> and stay a regular human being. Right? You, you can't live a Moshe life if you were to see the, my face. If you were to confront me face to face, you would no longer be high. You wouldn't be a human being living a human being life. You'd be something else, right? And I always go to Star Trek, right? Really important that I have Star Trek to pull on in times like this. Um, it's that you would ascend, right? You would, you would ascend to another plane if you were to really confront the fullness of the divine. You wouldn't be a human being anymore. And God wants to protect Moshe from losing his human beingness because God loves Moshe. And God wants Moshe to be Moshe, not whatever Moshe would be if Moshe were to confront the fullness of divinity. God's not interested in that. We, we look at so many traditions that are looking to surpass the human experience. And this is one of my favorite texts in part because it says, no, the point is to live a human life while you're human. Yes, you're supposed to reach for it being bigger and more and better than what we often settle for, of course. But it is not about transcending a, a human life. Torah says that that's not the point. The point is to live our human lives, to live them to the fullest, to be the best version of ourselves, to live into our um, potential, and to do the things necessary to make that possible, but it is not to transcend the human experience. And God, God wants to get as close as God can to giving Moshe a taste, but God also protects Moshe from God, which is this beautiful moment of understanding that, that we can be too much, right? For that. I think of this being written by parents, you know, that, that we can be, I've told you, there's times that I felt like I had to protect Eliana from the fullness of who I was in any given moment. Because it wouldn't be fair to her to show her truly who I was, truly what was going on for me, and the fullness of that, particularly when it was wrath, right? If I were to show her the fullness of that, it would change her in ways that she was no longer high, no longer living the life she was meant to live because I would have wrecked it in, in intervening too much into, in, and giving her too much of me in ways that would have been really damaging. Natasha. I was thinking also like if like humans and especially the Jews seem to just pervert anything that they think they understand like with, <laughs> with, the, with the golden calf. Right. So it's like, if you were to see my face, you would just turn it into a statue. You, you know messed I mean? it up somehow. <laughs> right. That's kind of how I think about it, where it's like you could, because, because we can't fully understand, so we have to accept that we can't fully understand or we can't fully see, and that's part of, like, the mystery in Judaism. Yes. So I, I do believe that that is part of why and how our ancestors wrote these stories it, or, or this was their way of thinking, right, about the relationship to the divine is absolutely that, that we will corrupt it no matter what. 
whatever little we even think we know and understand, we manage to corrupt. Dafka, how much more so? How much more so if God were to show us even more, we'd figure out a way to wreck that. Because we can't hold it. We can't. We're, we're fallible. We are imperfect. We got raised by imperfect parents and grandparents. And we got raised in a society that's all screwed up. We, we, we can't hold it. We can't. And the other thing I was thinking is when you, when it says, when you said it's not his back, but it's what's left behind him. I was thinking about it in terms of like a time, like, because what we do is we set aside, right? Like our temple or our holy space is time, not like a physical space. So if like God is leaving and then we see what's behind him, it's kind of in like a frame of time. So now certainly, right. But in Torah time, it would have been, it was very much about space. Um, but certainly now, right, for us, it is, it is about time. Um, and I also love that idea that we often don't know how the divine is working in our lives until the div- right, until it's over, until it's done, until that moment, that experience, that whatever is done. And then you go, oh, now I get it, <laughs> right? But, but in it, we, we often, of course, can't, can't understand. It's only, right, afterwards that that we get it. Judith? Nelson Mandela saying it seemed impossible until it was done, which seems very relevant here. But also, I see this this conversation as a very intimate conversation between God and Moses that is accepting Moses' inability to realize. If we deeply love someone, we have to accept that inability in, in them that they can't see all that we are. They, they can't because each of us has a wholeness and a separateness too. But it seems to me a very tender, loving, intimate conversation that God is giving Moses. Right. Like God, God doesn't respect Moshe less or no. love Moshe less. No, but you understand that Moshe can't right. really, you know, see or confront the divine face to face, right? There, it doesn't seem in any way anything other than, like you said, a really tender yes, moment. and that God seems perfectly fine with Moshe being a human being, right? That it isn't like, oh, I'm so disappointed, <laughs> you know, or, I'm only going to be able to do this. God is very protective of Moses and doesn't want to disrupt Moses's human experience, right? By fully revealing God's self to Moshe, which is a loving thing, right? To say, sure, I would love to meet you face to face, but you won't high anymore, <laughs> right? And, and I want you to high. I want you to live. I want you to live the life that Moshe is supposed to live. And right. So it's a loving act of protect of protection. So the other thing is look at the nature of the divine revelation here. How will you know me? You want to know my kavod? So it's something about chayin. We got something about grace. We got something about rachamim, something about mercy. And we got something here about I'll cause all of my tov, all of my goodness to pass before you. So, so what is the, so when Moshe wants to really understand God's kavod and understand more about God, God goes to this place of chayin, grace, rachamim, compassion, and 
tov and goodness, right? This, this seems to be something about how God understands God's own kavod. Because God's got other stuff too, doesn't God? God's got another side, right? There's chen and rachamim for sure, but there's also, right, God's nostrils flaring. And we know what happens when God's nostrils flare, right? It is not pretty. So God can be angry and destructive and all those things, but that's not what God seems to identify as most God. When Moshe says, I want to know you, and know in Hebrew, again, is this like when they say know someone in the biblical sense? That's because that's what it means, right? It's the, that's the word for intimacy, for intercourse, right, is to know someone. And, and so, so th- that word is, is very, very uh, loaded when Moshe says, I want to know you. And God understands what that means. God understands what Moshe is asking and responds with something about chen, something about rachamim, and something about um, tuvi, all my goodness, kol tuvi, and calling on God's name. God's name has something to do with this. Calling out yud heh right? So this name, yud heh which we don't think is a name, like John, like we, we think it's, right? Again, about God's attributes, yud heh is, was, will be. Or remember we talked about um, that if it comes from the root that I learned with y'all this past year, that it could be about passion, right? It's about God being passionate. All right, somebody's trying to say something? Amy, Amy, it's Bert. Yes, Bert. Um, You were talking about relating this to our current situation, and I have a friend who said to me, you know, where is God with, with this coronavirus killing so many people and hurting so many people? And when you talk about the goodness and seeing the effect of God rather than the face of God, I think of the caregivers. And for me, I see God in what they are doing. I see God in all the people who are sacrificing and risking their own lives to help other people. To me, that is, I guess, not the back, but the the effect, the after glow, if you want, of God. And this speaks very, very powerful to me, particularly at this time. Yeah. So um, very much a Shulweisian theology, right? That that God is in the healers. God is in the sacrifices people are making and the danger they're putting themselves in or the comfort they're offering each other, right? That's, that, that is very much predicate theology that we're predicating, right? That that stuff is God, not the other stuff, the tragedy, the loss, the hopelessness, the cynicism, the suffering, the despair, right? That, um, so, all right. Judith, one other thing about you show the seeing the back. I think of shadow, and I think that our tradition is the shadow that we are always behind us. That shadow is always there. So that's what we're seeing of God. Lovely. All right, Laura. The two thoughts I had. One of them, the first was this idea of you cannot see me and live. For the first time, I sort of got this image of what people sort of, I was listening to it in the reverse, sort of only after you're gone, only after you die, will you see the fullness of God? So we sort of hear these images of, you know, the light and all of that. So it sort of struck me in that sense. But the the larger part about seeing the the afterward is um, not only in this immediate moment that we see the 
the godliness of the of the afterwards of the healers, but also each individually that you only see us our true our true nature in what we leave after we're gone. So yeah. Each of us individually, our, our legacy is that same afterward. Amen, amen. Right, that we don't even understand our human lives until they're we, we look at someone's afterward, right? The effect they had, the impact they had. Absolutely. Joyce, did you want to say something? What I want to say is that it is truly, as Bert said, and it is being said now, to understand when I saw God and the healers and lived and live. Lovely. Um, so uh, this this time of quarantine, all right, um, I kind of have this image of Moshe being tucked in the cleft of the rock and God putting God's hand over Moshe to protect Moshe from the part of what the divine in the world can do to Moshe. <laughs> That's not good. Um, and so I kind of feel like this is our, I'm, I'm just going to hold that image, right, that we're in the cleft of the rock, right, and we're being shielded by, by being in that cleft of the rock, we are being shielded um, from a part of what it means the divine unfolding in the world because it also unfolds in viruses that are perfectly fine in bat lungs uh, but not so much in human lungs um, and so uh, so for me um, I'm going to try to hold at least for this Shabbat my kavanah my intention and I offer it to you uh, is to see this time of quarantining together um, sheltering in place as being in that cleft of the rock uh, and being for one another um, you know, uh, company uh, while we're shielding, while we're being shielded from the danger that is also the divine in the world called coronavirus. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.